Samantha. And you're listening to Reaper Tales. And today I'm going to tell Montana about Andrew Reed Lackey. But first, Montana, what are we drinking? Uh, this is going to be a pick your poison. Um, again, uh, I don't know how many times we're going to reiterate this, but we do not pick a drink combo if the case is serious and from my understanding i think this one's pretty serious it is uh so yeah so i am drinking um a corona they have weird corona um seltzers seltzers and this one's a passion fruit lime version it's pretty good um but it's not as as it's not as a seltzery Mm-hmm. So, uh, I should be able to drink it and be able to read and not burp all over the place. The burps. <laughs> You're not me. You're not me. No, no. Uh, you just got done drinking sake, and I just got done drinking <laughs> the because um, we're doing two back to back. We're doing back to back episodes. I just got done drinking that um, spiked hot chocolate, but now I have switched to a beer, which is Voodoo Ranger by IPA. Yeah, from New Belgium. New Belgium is the um, place where is it? Was it New Belgium? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was New Belgium mm-hmm. that uh, council. My husband and I went to um, right after we got married with our photographer, and they gave us like all of our drinks for free. Like they were on top of it. It was fantastic. They opened up like the. It was during COVID, so they opened up like the brew house and stuff like that. Rub Let's take pictures. Rub it in. That's fine. I, it was fantastic, <laughs> it, and the pictures turned out fantastic. Fantastic. So even though I can't take a um, a serious picture to save my life, um, who wants to do that? No, never. Cheers. Cheers. There you go. Mm. I forgot to tell you earlier, and you're going to enjoy this story, and I think the listeners will too. But um, I was sitting here. And I was putting my putting the finishing touches on my notes. I had just got done working like my nine to five, as you will, and uh, was trying to stuff my face before I went and took a shower. And I was mumbling to myself and my Apple watch started talking. <laughs> it was Siri from my Apple watch. Okay, she didn't hear me. And... um she said, what can I do for you? And I was so frustrated. And my husband was in the other room and Siri had just asked something. He had been asking me questions since he got home and I screamed nothing. And then she looked up nothing and started <laughs> reading off what she found for nothing. And I screamed, Oh my God, shut up right now. And he thought I was talking to him. Meanwhile, Siri is still screaming from my Apple Watch. <laughs> and I've never been so frustrated in my entire life. <laughs> I had my phone do that because mine's Google. So it'll start like, how can I help you? And I'm like, I wasn't freaking talking to you. And it's like, okay, disregard what you said or something like that. Like really professional. I'm like, yes. 
Well, yeah, mine didn't do that. She looked up <laughs> nothing. She like literally. This she is was trying to be helpful. Thing. And I was like, she's "That's not what I wanted. I wanted you to shut up." Oh, <laughs> uh, anyway, <laughs> we had a Google go. Home for a minute, uh, and I would say, "Shut up." And that actually is a way you can tell it, like it it will just disregard everything. So you go shut up, and I I only did it once, but Paul would Paul every once in a while would say something along those lines. I'm like, you're so rude to Google Home. I just don't understand. It's gonna burn you down. We don't have it anymore, so no worries. The AI is gonna take it. It's not my favorite. My mine just randomly goes off all the time. Like my watch, it constantly goes. Like Siri is constantly. All right, she's not listening. She's constantly going off. I can hear is Tucker digging in his bed. I know. I, I had to keep like I had to keep one of the dogs in here because my older <laughs> dog she's having like like she's having a night. So yeah. I get I get the anxiety riddled one who is trying to dig into his eighty dollar memory foam bed <laughs> right now. And I only say that because I got frustrated today because I looked down while I was working and he was asleep on my slippers. Like, the you know, my house shoes. While there was a $80 memory foam bed <laughs> right next to him. My cat sleeps on a box and there's no less than eight cat beds to sleep in. So I understand your pain. I just can't. Animals, children, all the same. All right. I'm ready all to right. hear about Andrew. All right. So Andrew Reed Lackey was also known as the Halloween killer. I had originally planned on uh, going through this closer to Halloween time, but it didn't happen. So you get to have it a little later and we're going to extend Halloween. How about that? Yay. Uh, this is a a little bit more gruesome. Um, so I'll give a quick trigger warning once we get to that point. But overall, I kind of just go over the, the details so it's not quite as bad as some of the other ones I've done. But there will be opinions. So I look forward to hearing yours. What? I've sure never had an opinion some. in my life. <laughs> I've never spoken about mine in my life. I've sure, never, sure, sure, sure. never. And you, okay, sure. We'll, we'll, we'll go with that. Uh, Andrew Reed Lackey was born in Alabama. And I say in Alabama because I couldn't find the actual location, no matter how hard I tried, on October 29th, 1983. His parents' names were Michael and Sharon Lackey. From the get-go, Andrew was different, refusing to breastfeed to the extent that he nearly starved himself. When Sharon took him to the pediatrician, the doctor noted that Andrew failed to thrive and instructed Sharon to start bottle feeding Andrew with formula. She did, but Andrew would apparently only drink from the bottle when he was looking away from her. Growing up, Andrew was ambidextrous. This concerned his doctors because they thought he was taking he was taxing both sides of his brain too much. So they recommended to let Andrew play video games in the hope that one side would win out over the other. So just to clarify, I think I know we've covered it before. Ambidextrous is when you can switch between right-handed or left-handed, correct? Right. Right, equally. And so he would just toss like if he was eating from a spoon, he would do it from either hand or writing, same thing. Um, Just either one. 
I'm not. He didn't favor one over the other. This may come as a complete shock to you and anyone who may be listening to this, but I'm not a doctor. So is there a correlation between being ambidextrous and the usage of like the different sides of your brain? Yes. Is that an actual thing? Yes. Different sides of your brain operate different sides of your body. What? Seriously? I didn't know that. Yes. Well, like I said, I'm not a doctor. So they'll say stuff like left-handed people are more prone to this or right-handed people are more prone to this. Like that's. Huh. I don't know about being ambidextrous actually taxing your brain, especially since. he's not even at age five yet which i'll get to but it was just a concern because this tip it's it's very unusual you you definitely don't see that i mean it's it's rare to even just be left-handed but to use either one and vice versa like that's that's definitely very unique um the i thought the uh the diagnosis was interesting but i thought the treatment of let him play video games so that he will pick a side was interesting. Um, But also this was in the eighties. So the games were Atari. So by the age of five, he was already described as a loner as he spent much of his time on those video games that he had been basically prescribed and quickly conquered all of the available Atari games at that time. Oh, that's pretty cool. While his, while his uh, aunt believed him to be very passive and nonviolent, he was already becoming antisocial and would face the wall if anybody entered the room with him. Later, a psychologist would testify that Andrew had an average IQ and could identify right from wrong, but that it, that was pos- that it was possible that there were signs that Andrew may have been on the spectrum. Um, Andrew was able to graduate from Sparkman High School and attended Calhoun Community College for two years. He didn't have many friends, but the one friend we know he had was named Derek Newman. Derek Newman had been a friend of Andrew since the fourth grade. Some reports said that Derek manipulated Andrew, and one example was Derek convinced Andrew to buy him car parts with money that Andrew had earned selling items on eBay. Apparently, he was... That's where he made a lot of his money was selling through eBay at the time. At some point, Derek had told Andrew that his grandfather was mean and rich and had gold bars and cash hidden away in his vault in his home. Derek's grandfather was named Charles Newman. Born in 1925, Charles had retired as a building contractor and had also served as a paratrooper in World War II in the 101st Airborne Division and participated in the Operation Overload D-Day invasion at Normandy, France. Charles was a widower and had been estranged from estranged from his son and grandson for some time, though some reports say that Charles had at least met Andrew at some point. He died at the age of 80 in one of the most gruesome ways possible, at the hands of his grandson's friend. Okay, starting out strong. <laughs> On October 31st, 2005, Charles Newman was in his home on Hind Street in Athens, Alabama, and had just changed into his pajamas and was preparing to go to bed when Lackey broke into his home. Immediately, Charles called 911, which it was around 7.35 p.m. So in theory, early enough, I mean, it's end of October, 7.35, probably getting dark, but possibly early enough that 
kids might have still been coming around for maybe candy or something, mm -hmm. but they believe that he broke in the back door, which is why it caused him to call 911. He immediately put the phone down off the hook, like onto a table. So the operator never actually spoke to Mr. Newman. The operator then heard Andrew repeatedly demanding, where's the vault? Where's the vault? And that he had information that Charles was a multimillionaire that was hiding gold bars and cash in his home. Charles refused to tell him anything and, according to the 911 recording, attempted to calm Andrew down by saying what must have been his last words. Come sit down and let me pray for you. When he could not be calmed down and was still threatening, one report actually said that Andrew had attacked Charles with a stun gun initially in an attempt to get information from him. Charles grabbed his gun and shot Andrew. Andrew then stabbed Charles over 70 times leaving the tip of the blade in Charles's skull. He then grabbed Charles's gun and shot him in the chest. Well, I'm sorry. He stabbed him in the head? Mm-hmm. That is always just... Anytime, That's the worst. Anytime I hear that, I'm just like, how do you stab somebody in the head? Like... Oh, you can. I don't know. It's not very productive, I wouldn't think. But uh, I'm not... I go into some of the autopsy, but I don't know. I don't remember how much I put in there, but... Yeah, just the tip incredible. of the blade was was stuck in his skull. Incredible, incredible to me, the amount of times. I, I'm amazed that that's what stuck out, and not the stabbing him over seventy times, because that's a lot. Oh, I didn't even like register seventy that. seven zero. That's a lot. Like I can't even. That's a lot. I can't even peel a whole potato without having to take a break. Fair stabbing somebody seventy times. I'm not. I'm not that lazy. Um, just to be clear, I can peel three whole potatoes before I have to take a break. Um, <laughs> I don't know why. I mean, well, I don't know why that stood out, and, and it wasn't like he stabbed Charles over seventy times, leaving the tip of the blade in the skull. That's where you got stuck, and then he grabbed his gun and shot him in the chest on top of being stabbed and shot with a stun gun to begin with. It was just but a feel. A little bit. When the police arrived, um, and according to the article, one of the articles that I read, it was only about five minutes after the call to 911. When they arrived at his house, they found Charles Newman's body on the floor between a couch and a green chair in a large puddle of blood. Andrew had fled the crime scene heading north immediately in an attempt to reach the emergency room at the hospital in Huntsville, but had to stop at a Chevron gas station due to his injuries from the gunshots. He had taken two shots to the, to his chest. One said it was in the close to the center and the other was off from the center a little bit. Oh, I didn't even catch that. He got shot. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Newman, Charles, the, the guy that he, whose house he broke into shot him first. Okay. He attempted to treat his wounds and called the police, not explaining the gunshot wounds, but instead simply stating, I have no idea. I don't know anything. I just know I've been shot. The police arrested him and he received treatment for his wounds. It was reported that he was polite and friendly on the way to the hospital. This is also one case that the suspect asked for a lawyer pretty quickly and the police did as they were supposed to and ended the questioning. According to then-Athens police captain Marty Bruce in an article from DecaturDaily.com, he's been polite, Bruce said, adding that the suspect made small talk during the ride to Athens. He was friendly. He carried on a normal conversation. We asked whether he liked football and things like that. Nothing about the case. He has given us no problems. 
Police have not been able to question Lackey about the case because he asked for an attorney. Bruce said police recovered two handguns, a bloody knife, and property belonging to Newman from Lackey's rental car, a 2006 white Nissan. Lackey rented the car the day of the killing. Police also confiscated Lackey's personal car, which he had left at the Enterprise car rental in Huntsville. So now we, now I'm going to go through the list, and I, I'm prefacing this because it's a long list, of what they found in the rental car. So per an article on Murderpedia.org, during a search of the Ultima, officers found a Rossi brand 38 revolver, an 8mm starter pistol, a knife with a broken tip, an insulated pizza bag, a police scanner, a rental agreement for the Ultima signed by Lackey. Wait. An insulated pizza bag? Oh, it'll, uh, it'll, it'll, I'll explain it. Okay. There's a reason for the one. It's the most outlandish. And I, I had to read that. And then I went, I read all the way through and I was like, oh, because it, it got to it eventually. But okay. I'll explain it. I was just like, what was it? <laughs> it does seem a little bit odd. Okay. Sure. It'll make sense though. All right. Uh, a rental agreement for the Ultima signed by Lackey, a stun gun with a missing electrode which is why they thought that he had used it to begin with, a baseball batting glove, a utility belt, two flashlights, two black tube socks filled with nylon rope, a pack of six bottles of superglue, two black gym bags, a pair of bloodstained eyeglasses, an axe, a sledgehammer, a hammer with a towel wrapped around it, a roll of duct tape, five screwdrivers, several packs of batteries, a pair of night vision goggles, and a wallet, which contained Lackey's driver's license, several credit cards in his name, and a PayPal credit card in the name of Jacob McDeal. Lackey's mother testified that Lackey had incorporated his internet sales business under the name Jacob McDeal. So that's where the card was in that name. Okay. But uh, what did he have so... Well, think about it. His intention was to go over to this man's house and break into his vault... And get his gold bars and cash. So the bags obviously are for the gold ba- gold bars and cash. I'm guessing the sledgehammer, the hammer, and the axe are probably to break into it if he needs to do that. But five screwdrivers? Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> he was overprepared is all I can say. <laughs> okay. Has this man never seen a safe before? Uh, considering he has zero priors whatsoever, I would say no. Okay. Probably that, not. I don't think any of that's going to do anything for you, buddy. Probably not. You, you'd be better with a Sawzall or something like that. I'm not telling you how to break into a safe. A sawzall's not going to work on a safe, by the way. Don't try it. I'm just You're saying. wasting it, your time. It would, but... it would be more beneficial than. Yeah, maybe. Most of that, maybe the axe. I don't know. I think you're just going to hurt yourself more than you're going to I think you're just not, just don't, just don't bother. It's just not worth it. Most of the time, people are going to have like documents that are going to do you no good. Mm -hmm. Nobody has enough money in their home safe to really make it worthwhile. No. And if they do, that safe is not going to be broken into. So why bother? At the crime scene, investigators recovered a piece of metal believed to be the missing electrode from the stun gun recovered from Andrew's rental car and a receipt from Long John Silver's for a chicken sandwich and chili cheese fries. In a box on the fireplace mantle, they found a bill of sale for Mr. Newman's purchase of a 38 Rossi revolver. Wait a which minute. Which they had found in Hang his on. car. We gotta go to his order. I'm gonna get to that too, but are you judging the order? 
Yeah. That he, sounds fantastic. That's exactly yeah. something I would order, which is a little scary. He went to Long John Silver's and got a <laughs> and chili cheese fries. For those of you who don't know what a Long John Silver's <laughs> is, if the name didn't give it away, it is a fast food seafood <laughs> restaurant. And even though Jessica Simpson said it once, there is not chicken in the sea. <laughs> I can't believe you brought it back to that. <laughs> no, she asked if it was chicken or if it was tuna because it said chicken of the sea and it was confusing. <laughs> My point being is that you don't Bless. get a chicken sandwich from Well, home. I mean, if you want a chicken sandwich, you go to Popeye's. Yeah. Or any other chicken-based place. Yeah. Any other is better than Long John Silver's, can, I would gather. You can get a pretty good chicken sandwich from McDonald's. Uh, but you don't go to Long John's. It, let's go to Captain you don't go to Long. Honestly, I'm not going to go to Long John Silver's for anything. No, personally. I'm not either. Uh, like, I'm going to hard pass on that, my friend. Uh, but I'm not going to go to Captain D's and get a uh, steak burrito. That's um, that's kind of like how I equate it. You, I didn't even know that they had chicken at Long John Silver's. I've never been to a I've never been to a Long John Silver's. So uh, I'm just I'm. Really, it honestly sounds like something I would order from a Sonic. Yeah, uh, yeah, same. Um, I just don't. Uh, it's really confusing to me. Like the most upsetting part about this. Has been this order at Long John Silver. It doesn't no, surprise me. <laughs> it's the most. I mean, the whole thing's upsetting. Like, I'm. This is. I'm being sarcastic for anyone who doesn't pick that up. But it's just very upsetting to me that he went to Long John Silver's and he got a chicken sandwich. That's fair. It was. It was. Uh, it was uh, noticeable enough that somebody wrote it up in a report. There's a reason why it was noticeable enough. I haven't gotten to it yet. <laughs> okay. All right. I'm just. It's. I'm. It's really bothering me. I'm having okay. a hard time. Well, then shut up and let me finish. Okay. Uh, <laughs> uh, all my love. Okay. The chicken sandwich from Long John Silver's. <laughs> Doris Langster, Newman's friend, testified that she sold the Rossi 38 revolver to Newman and that he typically carried the revolver in a pocket in his robe. Dr. Emily Ward, a pathologist with the Alabama Department of Forensic Sciences, which will be DFS going forward, performed the autopsy on Newman. Dr. Ward found... But he just carries a gun in his robe pocket all the time? Well, I mean, he did serve in World War II, so... Okay, well, yeah, all right. I'll give it to him. And he's estranged. He was estranged from his family, so I feel like he was kind of a loner and... Maybe didn't have the best relationships. With well, people. like grandson, like fa- grandfather. Uh, yeah, maybe. Um, but I, there really wasn't a lot of information on him specifically, but that's just kind of what I gathered. Okay. Dr. Ward found that Newman suffered a combination of 54 stab wounds and lacerations to his head. Trigger warning. This is going to be a little bit detailed, obviously, because it's the pathology report, um, including stab wounds to both eyes and a broken nose. (laughs) Well, he's asked about stabbing a skull. There you go. Newman had seven wounds on his neck, one of which severed his carotid... Carotid. 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 Thank you. I could normally say that, but we've already said on the podcast, we can't think on words. Uh, And multiple cuts to his hands. 
Newman also sustained a gunshot wound. The entrance wound was on the right side of his chest and the exit wound was on the left side of his chest. Dr. Ward testified that the exit wound was surrounded by purple discoloration, indicating that Newman was against a hard object, such as the floor, when he was shot. Additionally, the entrance wound was surrounded by gunpowder, indicating that the pistol was at close range when fired. In Dr. Ward's opinion, Newman died as a result of numerous sharp and blunt blunt force injuries of the head and neck and a gunshot wound to the chest. Dr. Ward also testified, though, that Newman was likely dead prior to being shot. Oh. So overkill. I mean, if 70 uh, stab wounds don't do it, then... I mean, 54 just alone to the head. That's exhausting but i mean if you want to make sure it's done i guess i always forget about the eyeballs for some reason Mm -hmm. whenever i think of uh uh, i don't think of that i don't think about like the open crevices i think that's a good sign (laughs) i'm just saying that is not one of my intrusive thoughts (laughs) okay good uh, a subsequent investigation revealed that lackey was a longtime friend of newman's grandson Derek newman Derek Newman testified at trial that he had previously told Lackey of Newman's wealth and that Newman had a vault in his house. Derek Newman told Lackey that the vault could be accessed by a door next to the stairwell. Additionally, Derek Newman testified that he and Lackey had been to a Long John Silver's restaurant two days before his grandfather's murder and that Lackey had ordered a chicken sandwich and chili cheese fries. That's where it ties in. I'm sorry. Shows that he was there because he had received no, no, no. You just glossed right over that. You only said a chicken sandwich before. Now you're telling me. I didn't. That Long you John said chili cheese fries twice. I said it twice. You're telling me Long John Sil- Silver's not only <laughs> had a chicken sandwich. I get it Sonic. But they also had chili cheese fries. Apparently. No. Uh, I'm calling bullshit. This whole <laughs> thing's a farce. It's not real. They don't serve that at Long John Silver's. They don't. Okay. Okay. Well, I'm not going to argue with you. I will go. I mean, I, I they have a receipt showing that he ordered it, but okay. No. It's. Okay. What? Sure. what uh, this is so upsetting. It's And it's really detailed also. It, like, it's a weird thing to order at Long John Silver's, which would make it memorable if you were with the person ordering it. So. I mean, okay. it's like. It's like going to Chick Fil A and ordering um, a burger, <laughs> a burger, which they don't have, um, or you can get a sausage biscuit like I normally get because uh, I don't fair. particularly like chicken. But the whole point is just like it's I very just, odd. I can't. That, that struck me. So when I was initially <laughs> researching this, I left out the receipt when I read it in the article. And then I kept reading through it, and then it got brought up here, and I'm like, oh, that's why. That's why they put it in there. I thought that was really weird. But, you know, I was just like, I just won't include it because it's not important. Mm-hmm. But obviously it is. But, okay. I'll just include it. It's important spots. to me. <laughs> it's important. Obviously, it ties him to it. But it's important to you because it upsets you that he would order that I'm at so Long upset. John Silver's, apparently. I'm going to have a problem sleeping tonight. Okay, well, um, I'm glad that that's what bothers you and not any of the rest of what I've already read. Just wait. <laughs> just wait. I'll give you something else to think about in just a little bit. My downfall was a chicken sandwich. 
Anyway, the computers at Lackey's apartment were seized. Brian Wilmoth, a computer forensics analysis with the Regional Organized Crime Information Center, was asked by Lieutenant Floyd Johnson to analyze the computer hardware recovered from Lackey's apartment. Wilmoth recovered messages sent from Jacob to Damien from January 2005 through July 2005. Within the messages, Jacob wrote to Damien about an impending heist, his reconnaissance of the target, the house of an old rich guy, and its vulnerabilities, his collection of supplies for the heist, the cash and gold he believed was in the house, his intention to use a pizza bag as a ploy to gain entry into the house, there you go, and his desire for the money. Also, within Lackey's computer internet history, Wellmouth found the pre- a previous search of Newman's address. That's first degree murder. Uh, mm-hmm. That is. Uh, it would be anyway because it was in the progress of a robbery or burglary. Yeah. Premeditation, though. This is a lot of premeditation. A also, lot. clear your search history, sir. <laughs> well, it's a forensic. Like yeah, true. they know how to you, you can't really do that. Not not really. If I if I die under suspicion, nothing really gets deleted. Or if anything happens around me under suspicion, burn my laptop. The last thing okay. I need is for them to see what I have been searching for. I'm gonna look through it first, but sure. You're just gonna get a bunch of weird murders. Weird murders, North Carolina. Yeah, but it might be good information for the podcast after you're gone. Oh, yeah, like you're going to continue this without me. <laughs> By then we'll have somebody editing it for me, so I don't have to worry about it. <laughs> oh, God. Robert Bass, who was a forensic scientist with DFS, analyzed several pieces of bloodstained evidence collected from Newman's house and from the Ultima. Bass testified that Lackey was a DNA match for bloodstains found on the sweatshirt he was wearing on the night of the murder on the steering wheel of the Ultima, on the interior of the back door of Newman's house, and on the storm door on the rear of Newman's house. Newman was a DNA match for bloodstains found on the exterior of the back door to his house and the interior of the storm door. Bass also testified that there was mixed DNA profile on the trigger guard of the Rossi 38 revolver, which makes sense, on the trigger of the starter pistol and on the hand brake lever of the Ultima, Basically, you know, Lackey had his blood on his hands when he was doing all these things. And that Newman and Lackey were the likely contributors of that DNA. Crystal Kissel, a forensic scientist with DFS, testified that Newman was a DNA match for bloodstains found on the soles of the boots Lackey was wearing on the night of the murder. Jacqueline Bowling, a forensic scientist with DFS, testified that Newman and Lackey were DNA matches for various bloodstains on the blue jeans Lackey was wearing on the night of the murder. Like, they had so many forensic scientists testifying on this. I don't know why everybody was doing something different, but I guess that's how it works. John Kilborn, a forensic scientist with Analytical and Forensic Associates, examined the bloody shoe, print, sh- bloody shoe prints found near Newman's body. Kilborn concluded that the shoe prints were made by a sole that had an identical sole pattern and were the same length and width as the left boot Lackey was wearing on the night of the murder. Tammy Sly, a forensic scientist with DFS, testified that a piece of metal that was lodged in Newman's skull, which was found during the autopsy, was the tip of the knife found in the Ultima. She also confirmed that three bullets and one bullet jacket recovered from Newman's house 
had been fired from the Rossi 38 revolver. All five cartridges that remained in the revolver had been fired. So I go through all of that to say this is the evidence that they have. So this is actually very detailed and it's pretty clear. Yeah. I mean, uh, there's not really getting around this. Do you think it was a grilled chicken sandwich or a fried <laughs> chicken sandwich? Grilled. No, I'm, I'm going to say fried. Yeah. Pre-breaded, frozen. They just dumped it in the fryer. You think it was the same breading they use on like the fish? Fried no, fried. no, it's just from a warehouse special. Hmm. Okay. Because nobody goes there to order f- fried chicken sandwich. And so they just have it in a freezer and they just drop it in the fryer. Yeah, you're probably right. Yep. yep. Already solved. Andrew was arraigned in Limestone County on four counts. Capital murder during a burglary, capital murder during a robbery, burglary, and robbery. Andrew declined to take the stand in his defense. The prosecution was seeking the death penalty, quote, due to the viciousness of the crime, end quote. Andrew's defense attorney, Randy Gladden, stated that the only time he saw a motion from his client was during his mother's testimony. Lackey wiped his eyes several times as his mother spoke about his infancy and childhood, during which she sought help for him because of his inability to relate to others. After the three-day trial, a jury of seven women and five men recommended the death penalty on March 3rd, 2008, after just two and a half hours of deliberation. That is not not enough time. That is not enough time. Not if you're talking about a man's life. Yeah. Uh, uh, Regardless. Guilty, sure. Guilty. The death penalty? I don't know about that. He's, at this point, he's 25. Yeah, no. No priors. Not enough time. I, I can't. I'm not... I, I do I do not like oh. the death penalty. Wait, oh wait, oh wait. We're gonna we're gonna go into that. Just wait. Okay, good. Uh, Andrew's parents both took the stand to plead for their son's life. When given the chance to speak, Andrew stood and said, "I'm not going to ask you to spare my life. My life is over anyway. Derek was not involved in any way. I thank my family for being with me through all of this." After Andrew finished speaking, Derek reportedly burst into tears and was comforted by his parents. There was an initial psychiatric report that seemed to conclude that Andrew was on the spectrum. At the time, the conclusion was Asperger's syndrome, but that's not really recognized as a form of autism anymore. No, it's just being on the spectrum now. But it said which the prison staff, quote unquote, treated him for in the infirmary. I would like to know what they use to treat him because there's no treatment for autism. There's therapy. There's coping mechanisms. You don't, there's no medication for it. Sorry. That's not a thing. I mean, once he's there, I don't, he's 25. I I don't know that you're really going to treat, quote unquote, I don't know that you're really going to treat him for this, but whatever. Well, and just like anything else, like. And they, and they didn't have anything definitive either, by the way. The psychologist said he could have Asperger's, oh, is yeah. basically what he said. Because he, he was only, he was interviewing him a few times. So it's not like, they they really didn't have anything great at that time anyway to be able to definitively diagnose, quote unquote, something like that. Um, they didn't even have like the real tests of being able to know. So it was just kind of like, eh, he seems like he probably has this. Oh, yeah. And being diagnosed with something like that is, it's a whole process. 
Uh, yeah, it's it's a there's a lot that goes into it, and even even if he did have it, just like with any other um, diagnosis, it is not that is not what led him to do what he no. did. And I think that that's oh my gosh, I'll get into it, but that's that's just one piece of more, the puzzle. More often than not, people who are diagnosed with uh, things like that or like mental health issues or any type of like diagnosis that is around something like that, they're more likely to be the victims of a crime than to yeah. be the perp- perpetrators of said crime. I'll kind of get to that. I So at this point you're kind of like cut and dry, right? Yeah. He got the, he got the sentence that he more or less deserved death penalty or not. He, he was guilty. He should be in jail. He Cut should be in jail. I Okay. Uh, now we're going to get into a little bit more information uh, that may or may not make you mad. And we're only halfway through. So Andrew attempted suicide in 2011, but was unsuccessful and afterwards requested that the state execute him, firing his lawyers and dropping all attempts to appeal his case. Before his execution, he requested grilled cheese and bologna sandwiches with French fries as his last meal which was prepared in the prison kitchen. And I included that because that has to be the simplest meal I've ever heard of for your last meal. But is a grilled cheese also, listen, he could have put the cheese on a fried bologna sandwich and that would have been the best meal ever. Like, I love fried bologna. I love grilled cheese. (laughs) When you put those bad boys together... It is like I've never had it, so I'll take your word. But that was his request for his final. Name. Also, what is with his found it meals? His meal order. Yeah, New so Year's <laughs> At least that's for chili cheese fries. Oh, Not just regular fries. I'm gonna listen. I, I could really use a chicken sandwich from Long Island. <laughs> It's, it's really he was just, he was just that's just that's just what he wanted that was his that was his thing he was it was a little weird not gonna I mean, not, like i'm not knocking him by any means as somebody who eats spaghettios multiple times a week fair. i cannot judge somebody for their eating habits i can't i i cannot <laughs> you know what you like you go for it that's all it is yeah at 6 p.m. on July 25th, 2013, Andrew, only 29 years old, was executed by the state of Alabama via lethal injection and was pronounced dead at 625 at Holman Correctional Facility in Outmore, Alabama. When asked if he had any last words, he said he did not. His mother, father, brother, and aunt were all present at the execution, and they had visited him earlier that day. A man and two women were present as well on behalf of the victim's family, but their names and relation were not released. Can I ask this? Um, and you might have said, did he go through any appeals process? We're getting to that. After, okay. Because I feel like even though he fired his lawyers, and I'm sure you're about to get to it, there's an autom- when it comes to the death penalty, there are automatic appeals that happen. Even, to get to all that. even if somebody says, I don't want the appeal, it, it's an automatic thing. So that's my two cents. That's like two things I know. And that is it. <laughs> and you covered them right before I said them. Anyway. I'm not a doctor. No, you're not. But I'm an expert about fast food restaurants. And they should <laughs> not have chicken sandwiches. <laughs> yeah. And chicken sandwiches in general. Uh, yeah. There you go. 
Prisoners' rights groups had reached out to court to attempt to stop the execution, saying his mental competency had not been adequately measured before permitting him to waive his remaining appeals. The appeals court allowed the judge's ruling to stand. According to Brian Stevenson, the Equal Justice Initiative's director, a family member had actually intervened on Andrew's behalf to expedite the execution. I found the appeal, and Andrew is very adamant that he did not want any more appeals for his case and that he only wished for them to move forward with the date of execution. Though the description of his mental state prior to the trial to me sounds concerning as far as his decision to waive appeals, and I do feel it leads cre- it lends credibility to the possibility of his friend manipulating him for things in the past. Oh, I definitely believe that. I also believe if he if he had a uh, attempt to take his own life, that should be an automatic like process of evaluation we'll also get into that okay i'm sorry I'm, so, I'm just like i'm jumping ahead <laughs> of myself because i'm like there's so many there are like so many red flags in this yeah to go ahead and like carry out this death sentence at just 29 years old and to see that he struggled with like the value of his own life i'll get into it let me, let me read through this next section. So I actually am going to quote from the appeal documents that were on murderpedia.org that were directly from the appeal. So all of this will be a, a quote pretty much. Before trial, defense counsel had Lackey evaluated by Frankie L. Preston, a licensed clinical psychologist, to determine whether Lackey suffered from a mental disorder at the time of the offense and determine whether Lackey was competent to participate in his defense and to stand trial. Dr. Preston described Lackey as socially awkward, probably shy and anxious in unfamiliar surroundings, but sufficiently confident in his abilities to communicate verbally in writing to strategize and financially achieve beyond most others his age. After interviewing Lackey multiple times and having Lackey perform multiple tests and questionnaires, Dr. Preston reported that Lackey has an IQ of 84, which, by the way, if you look at the levels, it's considered the high end, the highest end of lower normal range ID or borderline intellectual functioning, also referred to as Borderline mental disability, literally the very top number of the level of borderline mental disability. And earlier I said he stated he was of average intellect. But an IQ score of 84, I looked it up and it is at it's the highest number allowed on a borderline mental disability. So he is one level, one score, one point below that. And they still he stated, he stated yeah, he stated that Lackey was angry, depressed, anxious, and uncertain about his future, and suffered from low, low morale. By the time you got to him, it's not super surprising. Anyway, according to Dr. Preston, Lackey was highly introverted and uneasy in close interpersonal involvements. Dr. Preston explained that Lackey was emotionally detached and had long endured suicidal preoccupations. Dr. Preston did not, however, state that Lackey suffered from any serious mental disease or disorder. 
In relation to Lackey's competency to stand trial, Dr. Preston administered the MacArthur Competence Assessment Tool. The results of the tool indicated that Lackey appears to have an adequate understanding of the legal process and charges. Likely, he should be able to consult with his attorney in a reasonable way. He has the capacity to seek, identify, weigh, and balance more relevant and less relevant information, as well as to use this data to make decisions about his own case. Dr. Preston explained his own clinical diagnostic impressions as follows. Within a reasonable degree of evaluative certainty, and based on history, personal and collateral, interviewing and testing, Mr. Lackey was not suffering from nor experiencing a mental disorder which would compromise his consciousness, mood, or thoughts as to being able to morally distinguish right from wrong or distinguish and understand legal from illegal behavior. He is able to understand the legal charges he faces, participate in his defense, conduct himself properly during court proceedings, and appreciate the range of possible sentencing outcomes. I'm calling bullshit. I'm going ahead. Hang on. Let me get through this part. Let me get okay. through this next paragraph. Then I'll take a break and let you talk so I can breathe. At trial, Dr. Preston testified that his examination of Lackey indicated that Lackey is an introvert who lacks confidence in social situations and becomes anxious around other people. According to Dr. Preston, Lackey has experienced repeated episodes of persistent depressed mood and sleep disturbance accompanied by a significant weight change and social withdrawal. At other times, Lackey experienced repeated episodes of persistent elated mood or increased mood, increased energy level, racing thoughts, and uncontrollable talkativeness accompanied by heavy spending and inflated self-confidence. Lackey, however, had no experience with thought broadcasting, thought insertion, thought withdrawal, auditory distortions or hallucinations, grandiose beliefs, persecutory beliefs or feelings of being uncontrolled. While in jail awaiting trial, Lackey thought that other people were spying on him and talking about him. Dr. Preston explained that those thoughts are not an uncommon response for someone who's in jail because they typically are watching you. Dr. Preston testified that Lackey indicated that he had special powers, but it was later discovered that Lackey was referring to his skills in computer games. Dr. Preston stated that Lackey had suffered from generalized anxiety disorder and social phobia for a large portion of his life. Dr. Preston concluded that Lackey was experiencing some depression, anxiety, and hopelessness and pessimism about his legal situation. I wonder why. Dr. Preston, however, testified that Lackey did not suffer from any severe mental disorder and concluded that Lackey was sane at the time of the offense and competent to stand trial and to aid in his defense. Now I'm going to breathe for a second and you can give me your thoughts because I had a lot. Okay, so again, I'm calling bullshit on the simple fact that the, the statement that he made, the the diagnosis that he made was that he was mentally sound and able he had suicidal ideation that is not mentally sound that is a severe a severe mental issue for sure you can't that's not it's it's no also i'm a pretty intelligent person if i do say so myself like highly intelligent 
I mean, listen. Very, yeah. Just so, so, I'm in awe of you, honestly. I, me too. I'm not a doctor, but I could be. Um, I'm too squeamish. I can't do that. Anyway, the whole thing is like by choice, not by the uh, the ability to yeah, do the job. Yeah, exactly. I don't know if I would be fully capable of fully understanding the entire ramifications of my decisions and the court's way of proceeding and the charges that are brought against me. I would struggle with that, even with my countless knowledge. So you're telling me somebody who is on the cusp of a learning disability understood everything? You're telling me that they were capable of making a decision on something that I have a hard time understanding, but they're going to fully understand? Okay. This is why it's never cut and dry and why I wanted to go into this detail. And I'm sorry if you're hearing my dogs barking in the background. Um, You know, it's my turn. (laughs) But (laughs) it just, the, the whole, the whole like mentally stable enough to... And I understand that you can have a mental disability or you can have a mental disorder. Trust me, I have plenty of them. If you would like me to pick one out, I probably have it. it you can't say that they they are capable. If I am in a... Well, no, understand, though, this is a clinical psychologist. His job is to evaluate this person and make a decision. So yep. he is deciding based on what he is provided. If you asked me and I was on that jury, I would not have sentenced him to death based on that information because that to me is not a perfectly sane, competent, understanding person. Mm-hmm. Same. Same. But that's just my thoughts. And as a clinical psychologist, how do you make those diagnoses and say what he said? Say that he is capable of making these decisions. I mean, you're, he's basically saying that at, at, at bare minimum, he's bipolar because he said he had he had depressive states and high states. So that's bipolar. That's the definition of bipolar. Um, and then he said he also had paranoia, but he was like, but that's normal in jail. Uh, also, he may have had this outside of jail, but you wouldn't know that because you haven't talked to him outside of jail. So he could have had a little bit of paranoia on the side, too. You could have there. There's a lot of stuff BPD. going on with this. Had, this there's so there's a lot points. of stuff going on. So how are you going to say, oh, he was perfectly fine at that time? How would you know? You weren't there, sir. Yeah. No. And here's my other thing about it. He could have been completely sane during the act of the crime itself. But if he, at the time of sentencing, if his mental fortitude capabilities are lowered, to me, I feel like. Yes, sentence him for the actions that he did, but it doesn't seem like a good, it doesn't seem like a good solution to sentence somebody to death who cannot understand the ramifications of what they're going through at that time and thinks that that's the way out. If he's going through something, treat him for that. Get him to a place where he can be a better person, a functioning Mm -hmm. person. Then let him serve out a life sentence or whatever you may say. Yeah. Well, let me. Um, okay. So now we'll get to the point of the, the this appeal that I'm going through, by the way, is the appeal where he had asked to stop doing appeals, essentially. Mm-hmm. 
they had submitted the appeal on his behalf. So now I'm going to get into where what Lackey says um, about this. So Lackey stated he does not want his conviction or sentence overturned because he accept his accepts his guilt and because he does not want to face the possibility of being sentenced to life in prison without the possibility of parole. He explained that he understands what lesser included offenses are and that he could get a, a sentence less than life in prison without the possibility of parole, but that he does not want to take the chance of receiving a sentence of life in prison without the possibility of parole. Therefore, he wants to terminate counsel and have this court conduct only a plain error review. Now I'm going to take a pause. That's the automatic appeals process. He agreed. That's what you have to do. Whatever. Go ahead and do it. Just don't do anything out above and beyond what has to be done is basically what he said. Yeah. So according to Lackey, he knows that if he represents himself and strikes all documents filed on his behalf, he will likely be executed. So he wanted to... Um, he wanted to do pro se. He he just fired his counsel, so it would just be him. But that should be like an immediately immediate like red flag for mental stability. Well, and I'll, I'll I've still got some stuff to read, but it it kind of goes into that and why they allowed this to proceed. Lackey stated that he wishes to terminate his appellate counsel and to represent himself because he has consistently told them since shortly after he was sentenced that he did not want to challenge his convictions or sentences. According to Lackey, appellate counsel have ignored his wishes and told him that he was messing up their case. Lackey's testimony is supported by letters he has sent to the Alabama Attorney General and this court. Further, this court notes that although Lackey informed appellate counsel shortly after he was sentenced to death, that he did not want to challenge his convictions or sentences. Appellate counsel did not raise any concerns relating to his competency until Lackey sought to represent himself and to terminate appellate counsel's services. At the hearing, Lackey informed the circuit court that he believed he had sufficient me mental health to tell the court what he wants, or sorry, what he desires. He admitted that in August 2011, he attempted to commit suicide by cutting his wrists, but he explained that at the time he was under a great deal of stress as a result of being on death row and his insomnia. Since that time, however, he has been on medication and the medication has helped him, but it does not affect his judgment. His, he further testified that his decision to proceed pro se to terminate his counsel's representation and to strike all documents filed on his behalf is not an attempt to commit suicide. He explained that he is just accepting guilt for what he did. And although his appellate counsel says it's suicide, it's not. At the hearing, appellate counsel stated that the fact that Lackey had been prescribed and was taking psychotropic drugs is evidence that he's incompetent. The record, however, does not establish whether Lackey was taking those drugs, antidepressant drugs, sleep aids, or any other type of drug. Accordingly, Appellate counsel's assertion is unsupported by any evidence in the record. Wow, that was a mouthful. So, um, basically, he's just like, stop. I'm just done. So, of course, the death penalty is a difficult topic and full of debate. Andrew's case brought this to light again in the state of Alabama as he was the first inmate to be executed since Christopher T. Johnson of Escambia, Escambia County on October 20th, 2011, and another execution would not take place in the state of Alabama until January of 2016. 
Um, and that was the execution of Christopher Brooks. According to crimescenecleanup.com, for two years, executions in the state slowed over pharmaceutical companies opposing the use of their products. The jail also faced issues with assailants remaining alive, unconscious or, unconscious, or choking during the process. At times, the injection process would take up to two and a half hours, like in the case of Doyle Lee Ham, where correctional officers could not locate the assailant's vein due to lifelong intravenous drug use. These reasons are what spurred the Alabama Department of Corrections to construct a gas chamber within Hallman. As of 2021, executions are carried out via nitrogen hypoxia. The Holman Correctional Facility in Altmore, Alabama, has executed 69 men and one woman via lethal injection since 2002. The facility is one of many that has raised concerns and controversy over the frequency and type, types of legal drug, lethal drugs used. In 2021, 28 out of the 29 states that authorize capital punishment use lethal injection as the primary method, Alabama included. Either way, either way it's administered. I mean, gas chamber is disgusting, but lethal injection is just as bad. It is just mm -hmm. as bad. It is horrendous. Like, in the simple fact that these drugs have to be administered by a doctor, too... For most cases, and doctors right, I'm, have okay. I'm gonna, I'm gonna have a little. I just I can't. I'm gonna have a little pen that it's it's interesting that we ended up recording today because I had an update today that I added to. Oh, okay. This. So I'm. I just I don't. It, and I will freely say this at Thanksgiving dinner with all of my <laughs> um, very conservative family. I don't believe in the death penalty. I don't believe. In capital punishment, I don't think it does anything to better the future. I, I don't believe an eye for an eye. Yeah, if you if you want to make a difference and you want to make a change, you've got to look at the cases where people have done horrendous crimes and they have gone in. And I'm not I'm not talking about like the Jeffrey Dahmer people. Like fuck him, he got what was coming to him. But I'm talking about people who do horrendous crimes. They go in they get actually reformed and they actually spend the rest of their lives trying to do things in better society with inside the prison system. There are cases where people get reformed and then they spend their life teaching other prisoners education, how to live a better life, however you want to say it. I feel like that has a bigger impact. And you know what? Yell at me all you want, but I just... Killing somebody else because they killed somebody else doesn't make any sense to me. It never will. It doesn't wipe the slate clean and it doesn't make anything better. And it doesn't. And, and for, it, it, you may feel like it's justice, but is it? Yeah. And for anyone who wants to say, well, I don't want to feed them. I don't want to spend my tax dollars doing this. It costs more money to mm -hmm. execute somebody. By far and large than it is to sentence them to a life sentence. And that is because of the the appeals process. And if you say, well, we'll just take the appeals process away. You what can't about do the that. countless people who are sentenced to death because they were innocent? That's why we have the appeals process. So suck a titty. <laughs> anyway, it makes sense that Lackey's case has been delayed, though the controversy over the death penalty is another topic entirely. It's a known fact he was depressed and troubled, even experiencing a failed suicide attempt while in prison. 
He was in support of his fate, even riding to the court so his sentence would not be further delayed. After his prison suicide attempt in 2000, it says 12, but it was 11. He wrote to the court, hello, my name is Andrew Lackey. I wish to drop my Batson issue and not appeal my death sentence. Please get in touch with me. He continued to write to the Equal Justice Initiative and state court councils that year. Thank you for your work on my behalf, but your efforts do not match my desires in this matter. I have tried to make my wishes clear in the past. I do not desire your services any further and your representation is hereby terminated. Do not file anything further on my behalf. I feel like he made it pretty clear. I won't go into a true debate about death penalty because we would be here all night. Um, Cause I'm not going to, I'm not going to go back and forth about that. There's no point. Yeah. People, this is, this is the same thing as other t- topics that we've discussed. There are people on either side of the, of the aisle. Um, it's a continual debate and both sides have their points and there is no convincing the other side. No, it, it is what it is. That being said, there are still issues with this today. In fact, in fact, the governor of Alabama, Kay Ivey, has suspended executions as of today, 11-21-2011, which oddly enough came up today, after three failed lethal injections since 2018, two of which were in the last two months. There was one completed in July, but that one had a three-hour delay. She has ordered a top-to-bottom review of the capital punishment system, as well as requested that the Attorney General, Steve Marshall, not seek additional execution dates for any death row inmates until the review has been completed. That's about Apparently, app- no, I wouldn't celebrate yet. Apparently, there have been issues getting the IV line connected for one reason or another. I'm not even going to get into what she said as the reason who... Um, I'm just not going to go into it. Currently, there are two death row inmates with requests for execution dates that have active motions before the Alabama Supreme Court. We sh- we're really just going to have to wait and see what happens with this. Um, but there's also a debate regarding the order for the review to basically be completed internally, obviously opening a door to possible conflicts of interest. The Death Penalty Information Center, an anti-death penalty group, is requesting that the review be performed by an independent organization, which, by the way, is not a unreasonable request. No. Similar to how Tennessee Governor Bill Lee ordered in April of this year while pausing all executions through the end of the year because he found out that some of the drugs that were being used weren't approved. So. I'm sorry, what? Another state ended up having to do this. So, yeah, maybe maybe have an independent agency do the review. We're just, uh, we're not glossing over that. Uh, are there... Yeah, apparently some of the drugs were not approved. Are there federal charges being... I didn't go in. I was not going to go down that rabbit hole. I already went through plenty. But My feel free to look it up Christ. yourself. I'm going to. That is so unacceptable. I, I wanted to bring up... I, I thought it was kind of crazy that this case came up and then that happened today. Like, I woke up and, and saw that article this morning. Um, there, you can, it doesn't matter which side you're of, of the fence you're on. I feel like in this specific situation, the fact that he was sentenced to death just defeated Andrew and he just didn't see any reason to live after that. Yeah. Um, I wonder if he had been, if he had been given a sentence of life in prison with a possibility of parole, if maybe he would have tried to get better, if he had gotten treatment for what sounds like 
mental disabilities that he had, he might've been able to get better and actually function in some way, shape or form, even if it was only in prison. Like think about that. He refused to appeal because he didn't want to risk being sentenced to life in prison without the best possibility of parole. He was, he would rather die than stay in prison. That's got to tell you something. Well, and this is not rehabilitation. We're talking about punishment. We're just punishing them to some extent. I get that. Yes, absolutely. You should pay for your crimes. However, if you would rather die than stay in that place, we're doing something wrong. That's how I feel. Especially when you have somebody with a mental disorder, which he obviously has, even with whatever medication it was that he, he was being given, it wasn't making it any better for him to deal with that. So we're still not doing enough. We're not doing our job. Well, did he do a terrible thing? 100%. Should he have to serve his time? 100%. But also take into account, this is a 29-year-old. A 29-year-old. He's barely lived. He obviously already had his own problems. And he had no priors. Before this, he had never done anything and, and been sentenced to anything. He had nothing on his record whatsoever. And then this happens. My question is, why? Why Why all of a sudden and why that severe? What happened there? And it seems like nobody asked that question. Well, and the other well. thing is, his friend, who was related to this person, that's all that was said about it. He said he had nothing to do with it. Everybody's like, oh, thank goodness he said that. Uh, this guy. That's this not guy seems like he was easily manipulated. And yeah. I feel like that was just glossed over and nothing was done about it. So I don't feel like that's just a get out of jail free card. I, th- I feel like that should be looked into just a little bit more. But you've got people out there that killed people for fun mm-hmm. and are out free. Like, oh, I don't know, Carla Homolka. Oh, my God. She's living her life. Nobody even knows where she is because she was able to change her name several times. Her and oh, poor her. Poor her. She has to change her name every time somebody finds her. Well, fuck her. I'm sorry, but no, I'm not sorry. Fuck her. Uh, you y- killed people for fun, including your own sister. sister yeah. And you videotape that. But, and okay. But these people kill multiple people. They kill people because they enjoy it and they get out. And you have a 29-year-old kid, basically. He was not all there from what everything is, is being said. He hadn't really lived his life. He's never done anything before. And you're he dies. But you have other people that are out there living. That's my problem with the whole system. Well, that's, that's my problem that. with the death penalty. It's not straightforward. It's not across the line. Everybody gets equal treatment. And that's where I have a problem with it. Well, and he had, he had, the entire system failed him here. The entire system failed him. And his mom, and this is a case where his parents tried, his mom tried to get him some kind of help, but nobody knew what was going on. Well, that happened to a lot of millennials. Uh, but I'm just saying, like, this isn't help. a case where he was brought up in a bad home and people just no. abandoned him. He, His mom tried and she couldn't find any help for him. Because they didn't know how to help. Exactly. They didn't know how to help. And that isn't full. That's not a failure. I'm not saying that like that's a failure on them. I'm saying like the entire justice system and the way that that entire thing happened 
it was a failure to him because he had a clinical psychologist, psychiatrist, whoever, evaluate him, see detrimental signs of mental health issues and say he was fine. He was fine. Sure, he knows right from wrong. Absolutely. He knew he did something wrong. That's not a question. He knew he was guilty. Absolutely. I don't see a problem with that. He agreed with you on his on the fact that he was found guilty. Don't see a problem with that. I find a problem with the judgment that was handed down to him. Death. Mm-hmm. I feel like they took advantage of the fact that this kid said, yeah, I did it. Yeah. And, and he was willing to stand trial. All right, let's hand him to the dissonance and get him out of our hair. They took the easy answer. They took the easy way out on this. They truly did. And the reality is he tried to kill himself. He tried to unalive himself while he was on death row. Death row, regardless of what state you're in, is known to be a terrible place to be. You're not going to get sleep because people don't stop yelling. You're not going to get any sunlight. Look at uh, Damien from Westminster Best mm-hmm. 3. He lost most of his sight because he was on death row for years upon years. It is not a place that you want to be. And it's not a place that you can be mentally stable to begin with. No wonder he tried to take his life. If they had given him the choice, if he had been given the option to life, even without parole, outside of death row, he might have taken it then. Yeah. Because the situation that he was in was not beneficial to his mental health. And so, I, yeah, I know that. So, so I presented this case in the way I presented it on purpose. Halfway through this case, were you like, yeah, he's guilty. He just needs to go, go to prison, whatever. Cut and dry. Dust your hands off. Well, if you ask me, I was more concerned about a chicken sandwich. But I know. Yeah. But I'm just saying, as presented, cut and dry. He didn't care. He was antisocial. He didn't, he he would definitely do it again, whatever. Then when you actually dial down into it, it's not as cut and dry. And that's why I think it's important we remember that in these cases. We're only given the information that we can find. Mm -hmm. Sometimes it's easy for us to, jump to a conclusion without knowing all of the details. And that is one thing that I have to remind myself when I hear that a jury swings one way or another. They're, they can only rule based on the information provided to them in that trial. And that's- I do think they get it wrong sometimes, but I also have to understand that they aren't always given all the information. No, they're or not. they're they may make bad judgments, but you know, they're only given the information that they're given. So in this case, I think they got it wrong. In this case, I think I have a feeling they did judge jump to conclusions. And I think it was from a place of misunderstanding of mental health illness and things that we're more aware of today that we weren't aware of almost 20 years ago when this went to trial is, well, I guess it'd be about 15 years ago. So it just is a, is it's a, obviously this one got me fired up because I haven't been this fired up since I did another case that we won't go go back into. But um, it just brings about that same mentality of it's not always as cut and dry as it seems. 
No, if you went to one news article, you would have been given half of half of what I gave you at the beginning of this case. And it would have seemed cut and dry. Do your research. Actually look into these situations and these cases if you're going to make a judgment so that you're at least mostly informed, if not as well informed as you could be, because it's not always that easy. I didn't find the majority of this information until I went into the appeal. None of this was in anything else that I had seen in any of the news articles until I actually pulled up the appeal itself and read basically the testimony of the psychologist. Nobody talked about it. Not good. Not good. Not good. Well, you can research yourself or you can wait for us to cover it. That's true. You You can do that too. (laughs) We're going to give you the the whole deal. Oh my God, series here. Oh my God. Oh my God. Okay. Series helping. Uh, (laughs) I don't know if she does that randomly. Um, Well, good job. My God, good job. I'm upset. And it's not just about a chicken sandwich. Obviously, I make jokes, but... I'm very passionate when it comes to certain topics. And the death penalty is one of my... I knew this would fire you up a little bit. Passionate things. Um, I just don't... uh, I will openly say it all day long. I I don't believe in the death penalty. I think it's stupid. Well, I, I will say, coming as a person who entered into my adulthood, I believed in it. The more I've gotten into true crime... The more research I've done on my own, the more I've understood what it actually means and how it's carried out and the details about it, which i.e. means the more informed I was, the less I was on that side. And at this point, I don't see the point. Same. I just, I, even if you look at it from a financial standpoint, I just don't see the point. Ditto. I mean, I was, I was the same way. I was like, yeah, kill those motherfuckers. They deserve to die. They killed somebody else. And then, yeah, as I got more uh, knowledgeable, educated. It's not black and white. It's not. And more times than not, they don't get it right. They don't, whether they don't get the execution right or they don't get the right person, they don't get it right. And are you willing to take that chance? If you're looking for us on social medias, on Facebook and Instagram, you can find us at Reaper Tales Podcast. You or can they email us at ReaperGals at ReaperTales.com. And that is R-E-A-P-E-R-G-A-L-S at ReaperTales.com. Just thank you for the clarification. Just in case you don't know how to spell it. <laughs> so, yeah. She just wanted to, to stretch her spelling bee skills uh listen i actually wasn't a spelling bee one time i hated spelling bee. <laughs> um i practice like i could spell the longest fucking words really could i i could spell the longest words the most complicated words i had the entire book memorized on how to spell words and i get to the spelling bee and my first word was not a word that was in the book and it was polio <laughs> didn't know how to spell polio. How you spell it? P O L I O. You got it. Polio. You redeemed yourself. I redeemed myself thirty years later. I hey, no, no time years. like the present. No, it was like twenty years ago. But whatever. Whole point being is 
Spelling bees are stupid. Please rate, review, subscribe, and like our podcast wherever you are listening to it. And until next Please. time, don't join a spelling bee. The reaper will come for us all.